everybody. Welcome to another BFV episode. I am Black Cinephile. I am AKA Brad. He is AKA Brad. He is back. I am he back. Is back. He is back to AKA Brad. Brad, how's it going with the new house? Everything good? Uh, going good. Uh, kitchen is now fully functional, which is nice. So I can actually cook food here. And I am kind of moving my desk around, so I got to actually figure out uh, my office space here, get some stuff on the walls, you know, the fun stuff starts now. Okay, good, good. I'm glad you're happy. Uh, Today, we have an old school, uh, we got an old school spy showdown, but these are more like spy homages and remakes here rather than the old school, you know, James Bond kind of episode so we got a uh, guy Ritchie's um uh remake of the uh, 1964 series the man from uncle uncle and we have matthew vaughn's uh film kingsman the secret service ah oh, man these these you know what man this was a pretty this was a pretty solid matchup here man i uh i wasn't mad at this yeah uh well hold on first off have you seen either of these movies before oh I didn't know Guy Ritchie made the Man from Uncle film. Um, when it first came out, I said, "Okay, I recognize those leads." You know, Henry Cavill and Army Hammer. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Guy Ritchie was behind it. Yeah, um, yeah, he did this one just before he did The Gentleman, which is another mm-hmm. really good one that yeah, uh, has list. the same kind of tone to it. It's not a spy thriller, but it has the same kind of you know action. Right, right. Because every time I see a Guy Ritchie film, um, I can't think of one that didn't deliver to me. You know, I even enjoyed the Sherlock Holmes films. I've only seen the first one, but, you know, he he always delivers to me. So I didn't know he was behind this. And, you know, Kingsman, even though I like Matthew Vaughn for his uh, kick-ass films, I think he just did the first one. Um, Mm -hmm. Kingsman, when when I would see the commercials, they didn't really seem like they were like my type of movies. So I just never really got into them. Uh, but yeah, man, I, uh, I saw this and, uh, I I was grateful that you introduced both of these movies to me. I'm glad that you finally watched this because I, we've had to have talked about Kingsman at some point because I think this is one of my favorite like spy thriller movies. I think I asked you what you, what you thought about it because I think you saw one of them at the theaters and I said, oh, what you think? You said, oh, I liked it. And I was like, oh, okay. And I think that's where we where we left off. I think you either saw, okay. you either saw the prequel or you saw the sequel. One it of must have been saw. the sequel because I still haven't yeah. seen the the new one yet. The prequel with uh, Ross Buten. Okay, okay, all righty, all right, man. So which one you want to uh, which one you want to go for? So for this one, uh, I'm kind of thinking chronological. All right, all right. That's a little, uh, it's a little artsy, but let's do it. Yeah, I mean, we gotta do something new every once in a while. Correct. So that brings us first off with Kingsman: The Secret Service, the Matthew Vaughn movie. So this one takes place in a fictitious world where you have the secret agent society known as the Kingsmen, which operate in uh, the great old uh, city of London. And through this movie, we are introduced to the Kingsmen through the eyes of Eggsy, who is one of the new possible recruits for the organization to take up one of the, I think it's 10 seats that they have at the table, uh, which is very much based on King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table, with each person even giving the code names of different uh, Knights Around Table, the one being replaced being Lancelot. That is the very basic synopsis of this movie. Yes. You know, like I said, this is one of those films that I always knew it existed and it was kind of popular, but I was like, that doesn't look like that's for me. Um, Because I don't know. It just looked like it was the same thing I kind of criticized it for are kind of the same reasons I ended up loving it. It looked very over the top. It looked very kind of raunchy, kind of like unnecessary. But when I watched the film, those are kind of the same reasons I like it throughout mm-hmm. the film. Like, you know, I, I grew to love Eggsy. I, he's, the per- he's the perfect underdog in this world. He's likable. He's, he's brave. He's, he has guts. And uh, he comes from nothing. But he's given 
this this Kingsman challenge everything he's got. You know, I think Taron Egerton is is a great um, he's a great relatable lead in this film, and I didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you go from that, and let me just say, look, I love me some Sam Jackson, all right, but the first half of this film, I was like, I'm I'm not feeling the villain aspect with with the rich richmond valentine character i like that sam jackson adds the lisp but i'm like i don't i don't see villain from this guy i see tool but towards the second half when the plan is made a little bit more clear on world destruction that's why i was like okay now i see the palpable villain here because i'm like his girlfriend was more villainous than him i feel like his character i I can't he, he had to warm up to me as a villain. Does that make sense? It, it does, because he isn't the typical villain, which is, I think, makes him such a much better villain than, you know, say, the evil kind of, oh, I'm totally evil. He literally thought he was doing the best for humanity. Like, he saw himself as the good guy. And yeah, 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 I like I that, that he kind of played it off like he was just some dorky guy you know he wasn't some grand mastermind he wasn't somebody that you know has you know great plans for world domination he just wanted to get everybody together to save the planet and when nothing else worked he decided to then use lethal force in order to do so yeah yeah yeah, I thought he was a palpable villain as the film continued. Like as the film continued, the film gets stronger. Mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that. Like I, uh, <laughs> I love the opening with Mark Hamill. Dude, Mark Hamill is a uh, is oh, an underrated. Man. He's an underrated secret weapon of anything he's in. Oh, Animated, he's fantastic, and or... everything he's in. I hate that people only know him as like Luke Skywalker and Joker because everything he pops up in, he's absolutely hilarious. I think that's that's those are a good two roles to be known for the animated Joker and and Luke Skywalker. But I'd also say uh, Skips from a regular show. Is he Skips? Yeah, he Skips, plays Skips. Right? Yeah, okay, the Yeti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I like how Mark Hamill he's tied up in the chair, and uh, right before Sam Jackson and his girlfriend come through to shut everything down, the guy's like, uh, "Wait right here." He's like, "I'm tied up. Where am I gonna go?" Like I love the the look he has on his face where the guy uh, and right before that the guy was was saying like uh hey man listen our our boss just wants to talk with you he says this is a, this is just a talk yeah <laughs> like, yeah I love when uh she he the one uh, girl goes here hold these towels and he's like and then she cuts Ugh. the you know ropes that are tying him down and he's holding them and she's just covering the bodies and i love right. how that's how we're introduced to the villain is him going yeah i hate the sight of blood i just can't do it and, you know i see a little drop and it's just yeah i like how that uh that ties back to his um uh well Look, I, if y'all don't know by now, we we ruin things here. This is DFV, so if you haven't seen this by now, it's been it's been years. Oh yeah. But uh, if you haven't seen this by now, we we going in. But I like how uh, that ties back in later when he um, I, I think a, a bullet comes through him in the end, and he sees it, and then he throws up. Yeah. 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 What happens is he sees his own blood, and he you know of course he vomits because he has that. Uh, I know there's an actual word for it, but I can't remember what it's called. Where you have like an extreme fear of blood. I don't know. I, I don't remember what it's called. I, I didn't. I didn't know he called it something. Um, I don't know if he calls it something, but it is an actual like fear. Like arachnophobia is a fear of spiders. There is a fear of seeing blood. Let me tell you. Oh, oh okay. That might be it. Uh, let me tell you something, man. Um, I love the scene in the church. Uh. Because, listen, I saw that church scene out of context before I saw this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I everybody I, has. I remember I was on YouTube and uh, um, somebody had said, man, this reminds me of the church scene from Kingsman. And I, I saw it out of context and I watched it. I was like, man, these uh, these spies in this movie must be uh, brutal. They killing, they, they killing a whole church? What, what, like, what did they do? Mm-hmm. Then when I see the film and I know the context behind it, I said, oh, okay, I get it now. Um, yeah, when you I put a know. trained assassin under a mind control to just kill, he's going to just kill. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about that scene. It, it's it's filmed in an exciting way, mm-hmm. and obviously the people in this church are people that you know. If you're if if you're a human being, yeah, you don't want to be associated with hate groups in real life. So it kind of takes the edge off. But it's like it's still an unsettling scene to me because I'm is. like, yeah. And that's the point of just showing just how powerful this device is, that it literally turned this, you know, you would think of like churchgoers as like a peaceful group of people and everything. Mm -hmm. And it turns them into absolute savages using everything they can, like breaking off parts of the benches to use to stab people, you know, uh, pulling out knives, guns, uh, using the, you know, different, Basically, everything they can get around them is a weapon, and they're mind-controlled at that point. You know, we see it through, you know, his eyes that uh, he, you know, well, Harry's eyes. It was shown in his eyes? Well, through the glasses. We could see, you know, everything that was happening through his glasses, and that's how everybody else is introduced to it. And I love how uh, Merlin's reaction is... What are you doing? What what's going on here? Why are you doing this? You know, mm-hmm. and I like when the machine is turned off. How he like comes out of it, and he's like, "What did you do to me?" Because mm-hmm. that wasn't me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I yeah, it was um that was an unsettling scene. I put that on the same level as like how I felt when I watched the uh, This Is America. You know the music mm-hmm. video that that uh that Childish Gambino did, and he, how when he shoots up the black church and all the crazy stuff that's happening, yeah. it's like it's filmed well, but you're like, oh my goodness, that's horrible. You know, it, it's the uh, shock value of it being acting like it's normal, right? And that, he, he just has a straight face comes. the whole time. He has a straight face that yeah. that makes it a little bit more terrifying. Yeah, I thought that was a very well shot scene, man. Like Matthew Vaughn, he knows how to direct connect action. Like, here's another way these these two films work so well. It's that him and Guy Ritchie, they're very stylistic at the way they at the way they show action. They love those drone shots with the pans and zooms in like large mm-hmm. scale kind of uh scenes. Mm-hmm. They they both have that down very well. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, they're, they're both very well at that. I mean, they both do that stuff very well. Yeah, I um, I like that. I, I thought in the end, I like how in the end, it, it shows real stakes here. It shows real stakes on a massive global scale with everyone fighting as as the, 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 the whole sim thing. Cards. Is, the SIM card has been detonated and everyone's fighting each other and trying to kill each other. And then you have it on an intimate scale where Eggsy's mom is dangerously close, terrifyingly close to killing his baby sister. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was like, I was like, man, this is intense. You know, this like that's what I mean. Like, this film, it is over the top, but it does have its humane, actual, oh, oh, shoot, something could happen kind of moments, you know? Oh, yeah. This is one of those movies where it's like no holds barred. You know, it is completely within the realms of reality of this movie for her to then strangle her daughter, you know, during this scene. And it wouldn't feel out of place in this movie. You know, it would have been done in a shocking manner, but at the same time, it could have happened in this movie. Uh, it basically, ever since, you know, it, Harry is killed, it, this movie basically cranks it to, yeah, this, this is real. Because I think yeah. before that, we're kind of presented with the idea of, oh, there's not too much to worry about in this world. Because we have the death of Mark Hamill's character. And that's basically it. Everybody else has been just detained or they've been turned over to Valentine's side. And then even then, uh, he admits to Eggsy that, you know, the girl at the beginning who died. Uh, during the what was it the water kind of test or the mm-hmm. flood test uh, she was trained she was an operative that was trained to do that to you know put together the idea of teamwork for the rest of the tests uh, the oh, blanks with was, the dog 
I don't I don't think I remember him saying she was trained. I think I remember him saying like she's okay now. She's working a great nine to five job and like, you know, I thought I thought he said that. I didn't know she was like a like 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 a setup. Oh, yeah. I she was I, set up for it. Like that's oh, what her okay. job was, is basically tr- helping kind of get cadets through that first kind of phase and everything and to see if they would tr- save her or not. Yeah, I like how um, I like the final test with the dogs where it's like, uh, OK, you want to join? Uh, shoot the puppy. Uh, no, shoot the dog. It's shoot just the dog it's that, that simple. So shoot the dog. Shoot the dog that you've been raising this whole time. And Eggsy can't do it because uh, he loves his dog. He loves the pug. I got to be honest, man. If I was him, I would have picked the pug. I like pugs oh, yeah. uh, when they when they pick their dogs. Well, I love but, when he picks it. And uh, he's, you know, the one, I think it's Roxy, uh, because he's mocking that she picked a poodle. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, pug, huh? Wait, I thought this was a bulldog. It's going to get bigger, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, but I like how when he confronts, uh, who's my man that Colin Firth plays in this film? I keep forgetting his name. Oh, um, Harry. Is it Harry? No, Harry is, well, Colin Firth is Harry. Yeah, that's what I mean to talk about. Uh, Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, I like when he comes over to Harry's house later and it's like, uh, it's like, Hey man, you know, did you have to shoot your dog? He says, yes. (laughs) <laughs> it, it I, we'd all have the same initial reaction as uh exe where he sees the dog uh as like a, a ta- taxidermy yeah, manta- mounted up on his wall he says kind of sick are you you shoot your dog and then and then uh taxidermy him he says no the gun was a blink like the bullet was a blink i take i took care of him until he died later and then i taxidermied him yeah he's like oh you, sh- you know you should lead with that next time yeah <laughs> I, I do love, uh, well, even, you know, you have uh, Michael Caine in this movie as Arthur, mm-hmm. the king of the round table. And mm-hmm. I, I love when him and Eggsy, like following Harry and everything like that, like Eggsy returns. And this is when Eggsy is aware of what's going on, how he's doing. And he tries to, like, convince Arthur or... uh I can't remember what his name was outside of Arthur, uh, but it convinced him that this is wrong. You know, mm-hmm. they need to do something to stop it. And then it's revealed that he's a part of it too. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. a huge scene where I, I absolutely love the direction it goes because you can uh, start feeling a little tense about them during that conversation where you're like, yeah. okay, Arthur's not seeming very good here. And then offers the drink and everything like that. And you're like, okay, something's going to happen. And then he pulls out the pen, which were showed earlier is the uh, toxin that can be activated remotely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a very well done scene. I, um, thought the ending was pretty cool with everybody's heads exploding <laughs> oh yeah when they activated the chips in people <laughs> that were implanted right. right right i thought that was very well done with the music and everything uh did did homeboy die the uh the preppy kid who got kicked out of the program because he, he snitched before the train ran him over uh and, no uh, he he did not die. He didn't have one of the chips. He was just kind of one of the people that was given the safety bunker. Okay. He wasn't okay. given the cure to make sure that he didn't get affected. He's just, he was in one of the safety bunkers that didn't have any of the chips in it. So he wouldn't be affected by it. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah, overall, I thought this was a very solid movie. I, uh, I liked it. Uh, I thought it was, um, I thought it was very well done. I thought it had good action. Um, I know there's a lot of controversy about the final scene. I I take it or leave it. I feel like it's like not the scene where he saves his not the scene where he comes back for the guy that beat up his mom in the bar, but like the final scene with the guy and the princess. I know there was like a lot of controversy over oh, that. Oh yeah, scene. with uh yeah. I, I take it or leave it. I'm like, eh. You know, I because the way Matthew Vaughn described it, he was like, "Well, you know, in James Bond, you'd always see him 
you always see him go off with the ladies and you yeah, know he always he gets the girl saw. in the end right right so i figured let's do that in our own raunchy way and i'm i was like all right i'll take it or leave it um outside of that i thought it was a very well-rounded movie i it, it kept me intrigued and you know if i ever find time i might watch the second one and maybe the prequel um i, yeah. g- I gave it a four uh th- this one's a five for me uh oh, it's five i think everything's on point on this one the the thrill scenes are real like when they're going through the training and everything like that there is an actual sense of danger within everything uh like the railroad scene that you mentioned a little bit where uh the one guy fails um the fact that you know it's right there it's an actual train that's there he's on the tracks and everything and he's being pressured to you know give up everything after being drugged and you don't know that it's a part of the test you know, you just think, oh, this is this is it. He, he's been captured. He's going to be tortured to get information on the Kingsman. And then you right. find out it's part of the test. Yeah, uh, that was a good fake out. It, that was a good fake out. I love the scene following the church when Harry comes out and, you know, Valentine kind of greets him. And they have the little discussion about, you know, this is kind of like those movies we used to watch, you know, those spy thrillers. Now I'm going to give you my convoluted plan, tell you everything you want to know. And then you're going to get out of it somehow and go off and stop me. And I love his Harry's responsive. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. And let's, let's go with that. And then Valentine just goes, well, it's not that kind of movie and just shoots him point blank in the face. And I love his response to that. Oh my God, is he dead? Well, that's that's what happens when you shoot somebody in the head. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, you know, like the comedy, the action and comedy go hand in hand in this perfectly. You know, I do like how this film pays homage to films, uh, to other films. I mean, like I like mm-hmm. how you know he's he's talking to um, young Exy in the mirror uh, before he's like ever recruited or put through the program. He's like, say, man, have you ever seen? Um, What's the first film you mentioned? Trading Places. And he's oh, like, yeah. no. He's like, Pretty Woman? No. Uh, he names another one. And he was like, listen, man, I'm offering to give you a chance uh, to make something out of yourself. He's like, oh, like My Fair Lady. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you're, you're thrown off like, he knows My Fair Lady. <laughs> yeah. I love how they play around with that a little bit. And, you know, he's like, huh, My Fair Lady, huh? Well, surprising, but okay. <laughs> I think he. I think he goes. Uh, oh, uh, well done. And he says, "Yeah, yeah. like that." Um, yeah, man. I. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it though. I. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh. All right, man. Ready to move on? I am ready. All right. Now we have the man from UNCLE by uh, Guy Ritchie. All right. So basically, this film. Um, this is a spy thriller. And it is set, I want to say, and it's in the 60s, right? Yeah, it's uh, in the 60s. Yeah, it's during the Cold War. It's during the Cold War, and it's in the 60s. And uh, you and you have these two um, operatives who it starts off with um, them kind of uh, chasing each other. So um, you have a um, you have a uh, KGB agent named Aaliyah um, chasing after a, a CIA agent. Um, well, a thief turned CIA agent, um, Napoleon, and who is um, trying to escape the scene with the not with the uh, Nazi scientist daughter. Um, I think her name is Gabby. Yep. Yeah, Gabby, played by Alicia v- uh, Vikander, uh, and they're trying to flee the scene. And um, I, I, Aguila's, uh mission is to stop them. Basically, stop Napoleon from taking her. What his his mission is: whatever happens, don't let him take Napoleon. Mm-hmm. And Napoleon's mission is whatever happens, extract Gabby. Uh, it leads to a, a nice car chase, a, a nice chasing in the beginning. But uh, later on, we discover uh, when Napoleon, you know, brings Gabby to the Americans that uh, actually uh, Napoleon and Leah are going to be working together with Gabby in order to uh, get close to her father and um, basically stop a, uh, I don't want to say a global event from happening because that sounds corny, but stop something that could be uh basically to stop i think it is the chinese from getting access to a new nuclear warhead 
that is was a lot easier Chinese? to make. I think that it was the Chinese or no, the Nazis, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Nazis, yeah. yeah. Uh, basically stopped the Nazis from getting a warhead. So basically it's kind of like the odd couple. You know, these guys who um, you would never expect them being paired up together. They don't like each other. Uh, are forced to work together with um, um, a cunning, you know, beautiful lady uh, tagging behind them. So I got to say this, man. When I first watched this, I like I like the whole style of it. I like um, the style with the credits and the cinematography and how um, Guy Ritchie was really playing into the whole 60s vibe. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciated that when it when it started, of course, um, I really appreciated Henry Cavill's you know, Mad Men type of accent in this film. I feel like he really nailed that. Yeah, he almost comes off. I don't see. I've never seen the original Man from Uncle show, so I don't mm-hmm. know how accurate this is to that show. Uh, but his portrayal reminds me very much of like Archer from yeah. the show Archer. Yeah, but a more serious, more competent version. A little bit more of a competent version, yes. But more or less, his portrayal just came off as Archer. And then we just had, you know, a KGB agent. I love during the opening chase scene how, you know, when he's chasing them in the car and he's just looking behind, just going, look at him go. And Gabby's like, shouldn't you shoot him? It just doesn't feel right. He's trying to stop the car. He's trying like, to stop the car. <laughs> he's, in, he's in awe of um, Ayila uh, trying to stop the car. And um, that leads into my second point, man. Uh, Army Hammer, dude. I lo- I liked his portrayal of e- Ayan. I- uh, what is his name? Uh, it- Kirikin. Kirikin. Is what he's referred to because they're referred to by the last name. So Henry Cavill Kirikin. plays Solo, Napoleon Solo, and then uh, Kirikin is the KGB agent played by Army Hammer. Okay. Well, I liked Army's uh, portrayal of Kirikin. Uh I feel like he, he had the uh, the Russia accent down packed, and uh, he actually seemed like a guy that was... Uh, everything was serious. He, he mm-hmm. wanted to complete the mission. He didn't want to play... In, initially, he didn't want to play the romantic game with uh, Gabby. He, everything was serious and on a mission, and he's out to... Uh, uh, he, he's out to. Um, he's basically his there to prove that uh, his name isn't tainted because his father had failed the KGB. So there he was a go. very serious person that was, you know, he saw Solo as a thief and a crook, which he is. He was an art thief that got caught, and then the CIA bailed him out of jail because they saw his talents. Oh, man, I love that dialogue between them. When they're sitting down and they're they're kind of like like testing each sizing each other up a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, "Oh yeah, you're you're nothing but a thief," and you know they let me guess they got you by the cojones, and that's why you're doing this. He says, "Well, let me uh, let you know what I know about you." Yeah, I've and checked I checked your how, record too. <laughs> like I love how um, the more he digs into like uh, Kirikin, like uh, oh you know uh, you're you're doing all this. Um, to, I, I guess to salvage some kind of name and I hear like I like how the music goes and you know Karakon is like like um he keeps like tapping his finger because you know you can tell he's getting more and more upset and then he says uh and your mom I can imagine she was pretty uh close friends with some of the army sergeants and I'm <laughs> and he flips over the table and you expect him to start fighting and Henry Cavill was just looking up at him like dude I dare you yeah. show, show show everybody here that you don't have control and like, yeah, I thought that was a great scene. Yeah, I love how they play with uh, Kirkin's like anger throughout the mm-hmm. entire movie. Like you always get those close up his his hands as he's like trembling because he's he's trying to contain himself. Yeah, it's and, pride. Yeah. And I love how one of the first times we kind of see him having to control that is the when you had the two operatives the Nazi operatives that were there trying to sh- see if they were real people or not by mm-hmm. robbing them to see how they react. And it's give me your watch, you know, give me the ring and everything. And he, he's playing it cool. And then he just punches the one guy, knocks him down one punch. And solo comes back. And he's like, dude, I told you no fight. It was like, I'm still a Russian, you know, 
what was it? A Russian architect. A right, Russian right. architect would still knock that guy out. <laughs> he wouldn't kill him, though. I'm I like playing de- the role. <laughs> I like his defense. Like, you know, he just wouldn't let that go. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like architect or no, like, architect or no, like, uh, a Russian just wouldn't let that go. Right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I like how later on, uh, when he's falling for Gabby a little bit, he gets her a ring. And uh, and she's like, um, hey, uh, you know, I'm not supposed to be wearing this. It got stolen. Remember? She says, well, our architect would buy his wife another ring. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I like how he, I like. I thought that was smooth. You know, um, this film. I gotta say, if I didn't like the characters, I wouldn't have liked the movie. Each character in this film made me fall in love with this movie. And I think a lot of that is in a. Uh, it is in a tribute to the to the performances. Oh yeah, Henry Cavill and Army Hammer basically hold this movie together. Not saying that the writing isn't good or anything. It is good. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. writing is good, but the fact of the matter is, it's a pretty standard spy thriller. It's mm-hmm. we got to stop the nuclear weapon from getting in the wrong hands. It's pretty standard. What we have here, though, is two characters that mesh really well as polar opposites, played by two spectacular actors who pull it off phenomenally. Yeah, I was surprised by how good they were in this movie. You know, because I know Henry Cavill. I never watched The Witcher, but I know Henry Cavill for Superman, right? Mm -hmm. That's how I know Henry Cavill. And I know Army Hammer can act. You know, I know he... He's kind of blacklisted now for all the allegations, but I, I I've seen Sorry to Bother You and uh, Social Network. I know Army can act, but like yeah, they 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 really do adapt these characters so well in this movie, and it keeps you engaged with their performances and their humor to see where this is gonna go. Another guy that's kind of like the MVP of this film too is uh Hugh Grant. Oh yeah, yeah, he nails it, man. Like I love his one liners, like. Um, when he's at the party and he tells uh he tells uh, uh solo like hey uh i remember you you uh you're good with your hands and solo's like excuse me because he wants to know if he caught on that he stole his thing he says yeah. oh i saw what you did with the table over yeah, there the tablecloth the- were you a waiter man you know before and- <laughs> right right i love that scene and um i like how later on they're in the uh plane and uh he says something that um Kurokan doesn't catch on to, uh, but he says, uh, "What did he say to him?" It was a piece of dialogue. He said, uh, "Oh, it's a bomb." And Kurokan was like, "It's a bomb?" He says, "Yes, yes." He says, "Wow, for two special agents, y'all not really having a special day, are you?" Yeah. <laughs> like, oh no, it was the ship. It was um, no, that's a helicopter. You know, control. Er, it was when they were coming down to the ship. Um, it's a helipad. Mm-hmm. It was like, that's a helipad? Wow, for a secret agent. <laughs> you're just not having a very special day, are you? Right, no, for a special agent, you're not having a special day. Oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, I thought that was cool, man. I thought that was pretty great. Uh, what's another thing I wanted to mention? Yeah, another thing I like about this movie is um, I think the villain was pretty solid. You know, I think I think she was a pretty solid villain. What did you What did you think about her? So originally I didn't realize she was the villain until like pretty late into the movie. Cause when she's first introduced and everything like that, we see solo kind of, you know, sway her a bit with, uh, at the, I can't remember. It was the racetrack and it wasn't until like she got the phone call and she was like on her way to check on solo to see if he was at her, his hotel room after they had a break in at their place. I was like, Oh, she's the villain. You know, I don't know if I just didn't catch on earlier in the movie or if that was the point where you were supposed to tell that she was the villain or not. Yeah, I think it was, it was a twist. Like it was a twist that they dropped on us. Um, and I thought it was a, I thought it was a solid twist because then you think Gabby's involved in it too, yeah. And uh, then you know you learned that Gabby was um, really working with um, the British or you know uh, the MI6, you know Alexander Waverley's uh, team um, that was uh, trying to help push them along to the finish line, kind of. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, 
I liked it, man. I, I thought she was a solid villain. I thought she had the nice right of uh, the nice amount of cunningness and, um, you know, kind of chess moves that, that a villain should have. Yeah. And then she also has the one uh, scientist with her that is basically into torture and everything who has been like studying the shock therapy and everything like that to, you know, torture and get information. And Mm -hmm. he, that's one of the deaths where it's done in a kind of comical way, but you don't feel bad about it at all. You're just like, Oh yeah, that's, that's good. I like that. Oh yeah. That's, that's really a old whale type of moment. Cause uh, I like it. And there's like real stakes in that scene too. Because you know this 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 machine could really do damage uh, to Solo, and this man is responsible for a lot of atrocities in uh, World War II, right? Like, yeah, uh, basically, he used the war as a way to get test subjects for his torture to see how well it would work. Yeah, so I like how the whole time when Solo um, when Kirikon saves him, they're standing outside, and he's like, uh, "So, what do you want to do with the man?" Says, uh, I mean, the good, the right thing would be to just arrest him, but he just end up getting out later and getting yeah. a, uh, you know, pound the back, and you know, Kirikon's kind of nodding, agreeing with him. He's like, I guess we gotta do it. I guess we gotta do it the uh, the right way. And they turn around the whole time. He's just burning up in the background. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the electrical uh, short happened, and it caused the machine to go, and then it caught fire and everything. And right. I love Solo's response to his, "Dang it." I left my coat in there. <laughs> right. They don't care about that. He's died. Right. Yeah. Um, but I love the I love the underwater scene, dude. I love the scene where Solo saves Kirikon, which is basically that scene we just mentioned as a callback to that of Kirikon saving Solo, uh, where uh, he's playing the, um, I think it's Italian. Is it Italian music he's playing or is it like slow jazz? So it, it was, I think it was Italian music. You're talking about in the car? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I we, think that was just like uh I don't think it was jazz. I think it was just kind of Italian music. Okay. Well, I like how you don't when when he's going underwater, you hear nothing but that as he swims out and goes to save uh Kira, uh Kirikin. Um I like how right before he has like a, a bottle of wine like really enjoys himself before yeah. he uh, drives out in the water to save his friend. Well, yeah, that entire montage, even before that, when they're breaking into the facility to try and like get information, uh, I love how basically they're using this to like brag to each other about their mm-hmm. abilities with uh, going through the fence, you know, and Solo's clipping it with the wire cutters and everything like that. He's like, yeah, with. Uh, what was it? CO or cut with uh, a CO two laser, and then you mm-hmm. just hear zzz, and he looks over and Kirikan's like CO two laser, <laughs> and he's just stripping the fence so easily. Right. You know what? You know what that reminded me of? Uh, that reminded me of Suicide Squad when Aegis and Elba. When Aegis oh Elba yeah, where they Cena. were basically just having the dick swinging contest to see who's better. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I thought that was uh, I thought that was pretty funny, but uh, yeah, I I enjoyed this man. Um, I'm trying to think of another key moment I wanted to call out. Oh, dude, whoever did the score for this, uh, Daniel Pemberton, he did a great score, man. Oh yeah, I lo- I love that song you hear when they're uh chasing each other through um, I don't know, I I think it's like through the dirt hills. I guess it's what it kind of was. You're talking like, about the scene that was basically shot with a drone where it kept doing the zooms and the pan. I love the cinematography yeah. of that the chase scene, by the way. Yeah, the music and the cinematography, that chase scene worked so well. Oh, I heavily agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like this is like, this is a, I feel like every time I watch a Guy Ritchie film, it feels like a well done opera. You know, it feels it feels like a, a gun ballet film. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether it be kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like like gangster, like Snatch or like I assume the gentleman or kind of like sleek, like the man from Uncle or kind of like, you know, um, very classical like Sherlock Holmes. He knows how to bring a lot of flair to his films. Yeah, he does a great job as a director. Uh, I, I got to say, I love how his movies always have like the cinematography 
is always a key point in his movies and the man from uncle doesn't disappoint in that aspect at all you know the scene in the beginning with the car chase and everything uh it's very well shot with them kind of going down the aisles and going you know up and down streets and everything trying to avoid uh kirikin and i love you know how they bring humor to it as well with Mm him you know how many people are in the car you know just hum if there's one does he only have one hand on the wheel and then he goes to shoot him and you know well let's just hope his car doesn't go as fast as his reflexes apparently (laughs) his car goes pretty fast (laughs) uh yeah yeah i yeah i love the dialogue the dialogue is great in this film Mm -hmm. uh same rating for me i give this a straight four uh yeah i'd give this one a four as well this one it's it's a great kind of thriller movie uh, I wish we would have gotten more of like the spy aspect of it. Like we got a little bit of the gadgets during their one break in scene, mm-hmm. but we didn't get really as many gadgets beyond that. Like that's one thing that I think Kingsman definitely upholds with the spy thriller kind of idea of the James Bond kind of level gadgets. You know, you have the umbrella that you can see through and also it deflects bullets and stuff. And it has the stun, you know, gun on it. Uh, you have the pen with the toxic ink that you can, you know, remotely activate, uh, the ring that you can use to, you know, basically use as a taser, and we didn't really get that much with the man from uncle. It was a very calm one, but at the same time, there were glimpses of it with like the CO2 laser. Uh, you have, you know, the dune buggy scene and everything where he basically, I don't want to say he drives across the water, but more or less drives across the water. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember it's a sixties film. I mean, I mean, it's, it's set in the sixties. Right. So, you know, Kingsman's up, uh, universe is a bit more updated. It's present day, so I was kind of all right with that. Um, yeah, I gotta say, I guess since I'm both, since I'm giving both of them four, I gotta make a decision. Yeah, um, it's pretty clear which one I liked more. I gotta say, Kingsman wins out on this one to me. Yeah, I kind of like the man from Uncle a little bit more. Okay. Yeah, it kind of grabbed me a bit more. If I'm gonna be honest, um, just because yeah, of the characterization and everything. I like the characterization more. It felt more sleek. Um, it felt more. Um, it felt like it wasn't trying to go over the top. It felt like it, it was an upgraded version of the classical plot. Okay. And yeah, I just I was just smiling ear from ear the entire time. You know what I mean? Like this was a this was a crowd pleaser to me. Okay. Yeah, it, Kingsman is definitely over the top, but I think that's what I love about that movie. Like you said mm-hmm. before, it was one of those things that you thought you didn't like but ended up loving. Is yeah, it, it is very over the top, but it that's what makes it a fun movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it's definitely a fun movie. I'll I'll never take that away from it. And the performances are very good in that film as well. Yeah, I uh that's my take, man. Um you seen anything recently? I haven't really like seen much recently. Um, you seen Atlanta? I oh, that's right. The new season started. No, I haven't mm-hmm. seen the new season yet. Uh, okay. Have you watched it? Nah, man. I, I I'm kind of bad at that stuff. I kind of like I kind of join when it's like halfway done. I'll usually watch it when it eventually comes up on my radar. And typically that's when like two or three episodes have premiered. Uh, I did that with what we do in the shadows. Uh, the new Orville season and stuff. It was like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. Which Atlanta is especially bad because we were literally just talking about it last week about how <laughs> the new season's about to start. And right, I had already right. forgotten. It's like you pregame, but when the game comes on, you wait until next Sunday to watch the replay. Right. And, and everybody's it, already celebrating the win. Yeah, basically everybody's going, oh my god, I can't believe they won. And it's like, oh, the game was on? Dude, you were at the party. Yeah, but I left to go, you know, pick up nachos, and I kind of forgot. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, man. Um, what was I about to say to you? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, the Emmys. You know, I usually don't care about this type of stuff, but uh, there's some controversy 
uh, Better Call Saul got nothing. Really? At the Emmys? Yeah, yeah it got nothing. Wait, who like, got wins at the Emmys this year? So I never, I never finished the show, but the the main actor from Squid Game got Best Actor. People were mad that Bob Odenkirk didn't get it because um, they they wanted Better Call Saul to win something, and it, it didn't win anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot who got Best Actor in a Dramatic Series. I, I forgot to be honest. Uh, lead think, actor in a drama was Squid Games. Comedy series was no, that was him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Jason Sudeikis with Ted Lasso. That's what I um, meant. Um, lead actress Zendaya with drama series for Euphoria. Okay. Yeah, I heard she's pretty good in the second season. I mean, she was good in the first, so I, I don't doubt it. Um, yeah, like they they didn't get anything, and it's like I didn't know for their entire run they haven't gotten the Emmy. Really? For the entire run. There's got to be... Nah, There's no, no way. Yeah, I, I was shocked by that. I was like, no, nah, they had to get something for like, I don't know, like season four or something. They had to get something yeah. one season. It's like, no, nah, I ain't got... I won Emmy. Like, I don't know if Giancarlo Esposito ever got an Emmy for Breaking Bad. Like, that's that's what I was turning around in my head. I'm like, he had to have gotten something for Gus. But I don't think... I don't know if he's gotten something. To be honest, yeah, I don't. I, I I don't really pay attention to the Emmys too much. It's not one of the ones I care about. Um, but looking at it, Chippendale Rescue Rangers got best television movie. I, what I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, it. Oh, what, the movie or the award? <laughs> uh, <laughs> both. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know that was the thing. best television movie. I know best TV movie is an award, but they give it to animated films. I uh, thought animated films was like best no Chippendale Rescue. It was a live action. It was a kind of Roger Rabbit movie where it was live action with animation. Oh, okay. They went that route. Yeah, uh, right. uh, it actually wasn't too bad. Oh, I'm speaking to a fan. Oh, okay, that's why. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> oh, I don't I think it should have won an Emmy by any means, but it wasn't a bad movie. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he, um, yeah, I know Jonathan Banks, who plays Mike, and Giancarlo, who plays um Gus, they've been nominated, but they haven't won. Yeah, the Jeez. show never won an Emmy. Wow. It got 46 Emmy nominations in this run and didn't get an Emmy. That is... Wow. There's something wrong with that. I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, I, that's crazy. Some people are saying, like, the second half of the season might have a chance at the next Emmys. Um, I don't know how true that is. But, uh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm not going to cross my fingers, but at the same time, I don't care. So. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. I, I don't care, but I just thought that was very odd. Like um, The Wire, one of my favorite shows. I was mad that that never got an Emmy. You know what I'm saying? Another one of my favorite shows, The Sopranos, used to sweep Emmys. Yeah. But um, yeah, like that's that's crazy. That's that's definitely crazy to me. Oh well. Uh, I was gonna ask you. Oh, did you did you see anything recently? Or um, you know, you, I yeah. did watch Clerks three. Mm. So I did go to the theaters and see that one, and it, it was it was decent. Uh, he definitely cranks up like the emotional factor on this one, which I don't think fell as well as he had hoped, at least not to me. Uh, yeah, yeah i I had heard something, and that could, slight spoiler alert, folks. Because I ain't going to say names, but I heard that certain characters, uh, wife and daughter died. And when I heard that, I was like, how is he going to mm. play that up? Like, yeah, you know? it, it plays it up a little bit and everything like that. Um, but where the is it believable or is it kind of like here's forced trauma? It's in believable in the way that it happens. But the way oh. that the character reacts to it is a little bit off. You know, it kind of mm. feels very like, 
oh, you should feel sad about this instead of like, it's a very, it tells you, it doesn't show you how you should feel kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, but where the movie has its strong points is basically with its meta humor, which is something that Kevin Smith has been great at recently with his movies mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, Jane Silent Bob reboot and everything like that. And this movie, they both do a great job of like pulling in the meta humor, you know, like in the movie, uh, Silent Bob, Kevin Smith's character is the character that controls the camera and everything. So every time there's a joke about cinematography, you know, Kevin Smith is the joke person telling the joke, you know, no, we got to get this kind of shot for this, you know, and everything is like, all you do is stand outside and smoke weed all day. Yeah, but I'm still better at this than you. <laughs> the silent Bob is talking more in this one. Uh, he talks just as much as he does in the other ones, where it's literally just for the comedic effect of him just saying something profound out of nowhere. <laughs> right, right, right. That's funny. Um, Yeah, I imagine if I see this film, it'll be for nostalgic sake. Uh, that that's what actually, it is. It, it's a great nostalgic movie to be brought back to, like the Clerks, the first movie. Yeah, I, I like the first film. I actually enjoyed the second film. A lot of people didn't. I thought oh, I it love was solid. The second film. Yeah, I thought it was a solid sequel. I thought it was well done. You know, upgrade from a convenience store to a they're in a restaurant, right? Yeah, they were in a like McDonald's style restaurant. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. Um, but a lot of people kind of gave us some crap, but, uh, I, I, here's the thing. I'm not as well versed in Kevin Smith's latest stuff. Like everything from, I don't want to say dogma, but everything from Jersey girl on, I love Jersey girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I haven't really been catching up on him like that. Like, um, I didn't see the reboot film. I know you told me you saw it when you went to the premiere, um, at the Fox theater it was right. Yeah, they had, when they were doing the tour for the movie and everything, they had the showing here at the Fox Theater in Detroit. Okay, so here's where it is. Past Zack and Miri make a porno, I haven't really seen anything. I started Red State, which I liked, but I never really finished it. Um, I keep forgetting he made that movie because that's such a like turn from his other movies. You know, the, the running joke is that the best Kevin Smith movie is is the most unlike Kevin Smith movie, and that's Red State. <laughs> Everyone says Red State is his best film because it's so unlike him. Yeah, I keep forgetting that he made that movie because when I I was even trying to think of his movies and everything like that after you know Dogma, it's like okay, it was Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, Zach and Mary Make a Porno, Cat or Cop Out, you know, and then it was uh, Tusk, it, and then I completely forgot about Red State, like. I- <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I heard Red State is good, though. I, I want to go back and finish it. I, it is a very good one. Yeah, I um, yeah, I never got into Tusk. I heard it's weird, but I never got into it. We got to watch that one sometime. That's going on a future episode. I don't know what we'll pair it with, but we'll find something. Yeah, I've heard of Yoga Hosers. That didn't really look like that was my kind of movie. Uh, that was basically him, his daughter, and Johnny Depp's daughter, you know, having fun making a movie. Let's just make a movie with our daughters. Pretty much. Okay, gotcha. I uh, say no more. Uh, so, if you're enjoying, if you can basically go, this is just going to be a fun movie. It, you'll enjoy it as long as you don't go. But what's the plot? Just, just shut up and watch the movie. <laughs> I got you. Say no more. Uh, yeah, I didn't see Kilroy was here. I didn't see Reboot. So I kind of been a little... Kilroy hasn't released yet. Uh, oh, it hasn't? I Hold don't up. think Two- so. 2022 anthology film. The film was released as NFTs. Oh, oh God. Really? <laughs> God damn it, Kevin. <laughs> I walked right into that one, man. I didn't know this was an NFT thing. <laughs> I walked right into that, dude. I didn't know that, man. Yeah, this is an NFT movie, dude. That's why you haven't seen it. Okay, well, I, I guess I'm never seeing that one because I refuse. 
You don't want to. You don't want to watch it for the culture. Oh, <laughs> uh, you actually had me pull up Kevin Smith's filmography Wikipedia just so I could confirm that that. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it's it's an NFT. God damn it, Kevin! You had such a good run. <laughs> Have you seen Cop Out? Yeah. Is it is it is it good or is it just dumb? It, it's. See, I don't mind. It's not a bad movie. It's just not. It didn't feel like a Kevin Smith movie. Oh, and wow. it's on the bad end of it doesn't feel like a Kevin Smith movie. Yeah. You know, so go ahead. Like when you have like Clerks, Mall Rats, you know, Jane Silent Bob. It's like okay, those are those are Kevin Smith movies. Then you have Zach and Miri make a porno, which is kind of on the cusp where scenes of it, you're like, okay, this is a Kevin Smith movie. In other parts, you're like, eh, I can't really feel the Kevin Smith in this, but okay. Uh, Cop Out and Red State are the ones that are just so far in left field, but Cop Out is the direction of not so good, where Red State is in the direction of absolutely fantastic. Okay. Okay. All right, then. Um,. Yeah, so so let me ask you this, because some people see, some people are kind of looking at Kevin as the villain lately. Like, they haven't been agreeing with a lot of stuff he's been saying about comic book, comic book movies related discussions and topics. And it's kind of like that uh, you uh, you either die a hero or live long enough to be the villain. Um, do you think Kevin Smith kind of fell off? Um, I mean, his way of like making movies and everything is definitely more based on nostalgia now than creativity, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It, like, his meta humor is on point, I think. But creating, like, great narratives, his his time has passed. You know, we mm. won't... Like, Mallrats is a staple. Clerks is a staple. But at the same time, I don't look at Tusk and go, oh, this is a staple movie. It's It's a fun movie with crazy ideas in it but it's not a staple movie that everybody needs to watch at some point uh Mm. you know clerks 3 isn't going to be a staple movie that everybody needs to see as much as clerks or dogma you know basically he had a great starting run and that that was now he's kind of making movies for himself and it's not for everybody (laughs) hmm I, I would I would definitely say he was a man of his generation. I would definitely say that. Like the independent uh Hollywood movement, him, Tarantino, Wes Anderson, uh Spike Lee, they all pretty much made their lane in that whole era mm-hmm. and made it well. Uh yeah, that's a little upsetting to hear. I mean, you know, who knows the future? But oh, yeah, um, he could come out with another hit next year. And everybody would be back on his side. That's the one thing where people are like, oh, yeah, I can't stand Kevin Smith because of this and that. And he said this and that. It's like, okay, well, you're not going to agree with everybody all the time. You know, mm-hmm. if you do, you're in a cult. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, everybody, every director is going to have a movie where it's like, okay, that, that wasn't so much for me. Uh, but, you know, hopefully the next one I'll enjoy. I admit, man, I wasn't a big fan of Zach and Mary. And I, I don't want to trash Kevin Smith, but it's like, I just, I don't know, man. That movie just wasn't, that movie didn't do it for me. Uh, I thought it was funny. It, it was a good comedy. Mm. Okay. But it wasn't some spectacular kind of masterpiece. Yeah, like the View Esk universe, um, you just had to be around to experience it, man. Like, and I don't mean like around, like in the times when the films were coming out, you had to just understand these films. Like the way I saw them uh, when I was a kid, I had saw Chasing Amy first. No, it was Dogma because my mama rented Dogma. And I remember I, that movie was so weird to me because I like, it was disturbing, but it was funny at the same time. And it dealt Mm -hmm. with faith in God. And I was like, that was a weird movie. Like who made that? And then as I got older, I started watching like Clerks and Chasing Amy and the Clerks animated cartoon. And I was like, that's when I kind of like became in with the universe. You know what I'm saying? And I kind of got all the connections. 
And it's like, if you're not really in the universe, you don't really get it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. My introduction was actually Jane's Island Bob Strike Back, which, funny enough, was the closer to the View Askew kind of movies. Like, that was going to be his last movie. <laughs> oh, okay. So, I think it's funny that that's the one that I got introduced to him on. And then I went back and ended up watching the rest of them in... uh you know, in the order, Clerks, Mall Rats, Chasing Amy, Dogma. And yeah, that when it comes to those five movies, absolute hits. You know, I, we've talked about Clerks and Mall Rats in a previous episode. Dude, I love Mall Rats. I don't care how stupid it is, how much it hasn't aged well. Mall Rats is funny to me. Oh, yeah. When am I going to see the boat? <laughs> oh, yeah, the boat, the kid <laughs> on, the, on the escalator. Uh, dude, that that whole movie is funny to me. I just I I can't denounce that movie. It's funny, right? Mm-hmm. All right, man. What well, I said for me. Um, anything else from you? Uh, nothing else on my end. All right, y'all. It's been another great episode of DFV, and uh, y'all take care. Like, share, and subscribe. Peace.